I think we all know today is Father's Day, the time where we call up dad or write a card or some way connect and say whatever we want or think we need to say. If our father or father figures are not here any longer, um, perhaps we just remember them with appreciation or say a prayer, honor them in some way. June is just resonant with that. Last month, it was Mother's Day, and many of us did the same thing whether our moms were here or thinking about them, remembering them in the past. But how many of you know that the month prior in April was actually Siblings Day? Have you ever heard of Siblings Day? I had never heard of it until I started to research this a little bit. But there actually is a Siblings Day. It is April 10th. But I began to think, I know Hallmark isn't going to let an opportunity like that pass, so Siblings Day. But, but that's fraught with challenge. I mean, there's a lot of things that kind of mitigate against it. First of all, not everyone has a sibling. That could be part of the challenge. But then the other piece of it is that siblings, even though raised by the same parent or parents, just from the get-go start manifesting different things. Different temperaments, different personalities, pretty soon different interests and different talents. And as those things grow and go, then they get different pursuits, different levels of achievement different interests, and on it goes until they, they become adults and they start to make different choices and they start to get attracted to different priorities in life. And with all that individuality going on amidst a sibling relationship, it's no wonder that the terms like sibling rivalry and a few other of these show up in our culture because there can be friction. And so I think Hallmark avoided it because there's just, it's fraught. There's a lot of challenging stuff with that. Well, if you're going to write a card, what would you write? I mean, if you're going to write an honest card, hey, bro, oh, I just want to uh, wish you a happy siblings day, uh, thinking of you this day and the money you still owe me. Or maybe, hey, sis, thinking of you this day and it uh, would be great if you'd call mom a little bit more often. Or, hey, siblings, thinking of you this day and still love you, even though I can't figure out why we think so differently on so many things. Siblings Day. Siblings. We're different. And it's in that place of, of friction sometimes that, that we just wonder, well, how is there a way through? We're going to talk about that. Talk about how that relationship gets a little bit closer to what the Lord has for us as brothers and sisters in Christ. But before we do that, I just want to acknowledge that a sibling's day isn't all that, you know, isn't all tough and hard and, and frictional. There's times where if you're really going to write a card to your siblings, as I would to mine, I would say things like, hey, thank you on this day. I just want to remember the ways you've encouraged me. I want to thank you for being there when nobody else was there. I want to thank you for so many of the things we've been able to share when we grew up and how that meant a lot to me. So it's not all bad. But we're people, and we're fallen people, and it can just be contentious at times. That whole idea of siblings is what, what Paul is talking about in, in Galatians. Malloy read the New Testament passage. In the middle of this passage, we, we just come in. We're, we're coming into the middle of a bit of a, a wrestling match. 
Paul is having a tug of war, if you will, with the Galatian church. Because that beautiful gospel that they embraced, that gospel that said Jesus is the one who has come from heaven to bring us salvation, to, and all we need to do is just to say, Lord, you've done everything I need you to do in order for me to be in eternity with God the Father, with you the Son, and, and, and with the Holy Spirit. The triune God that we learned about last week. I can be there, Lord, because of what you've done. But in the Galatian church, that was all going well until what? Until siblings showed up, specifically Jewish siblings. And they said, not so fast. It's Jesus for sure, but it's Jesus plus something else. What's the something else? It's Jesus plus the law. You still have to observe the Mosaic law. You still have to observe Torah. You still have to, therefore, get circumcised eat kosher, a uh, few other things that, do, that mark the Jewish mindset. And Paul is saying that is, when you talk about Christ plus something, you're talking about a different gospel. In fact, when you talk about a gospel plus something, you're not talking about the gospel anymore. And so he comes down pretty hard on these guys. And so we come in the middle of this. And the text that was read Paul is saying to them, to the siblings, the Jewish siblings who have Gentile siblings, so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Here in this, the family language, the familial language of connection and relationship. Siblings, different backgrounds, different interests, different priorities, some making different decisions. And Paul is trying to gather them under the truth that everyone who comes to know Christ belongs to him and therefore belongs to one another. So why is this important and where are we going with this? Because uh, we've been, this is the third of a three-part series on understanding who the church is by what the scriptures reveal that we've been looking at. Week one, we looked at how Pentecost came upon the, the disciples, empowered them to witness. Last week, we was Trinity Sunday, and we looked at how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all are necessary. Three persons, one substance, each are necessary for a church to live fully into its calling as a church. And today, we look at, at the fact that now that we are of one body, what does that mean practically? What does that mean, even though we are different in many ways, yet we are called to work together? We are called to actually be together. And so the, the focus of our time is to live in, in unity. This whole idea of, if, here's what so concerns Jesus. He says this to his disciples in the upper room discourse. He says, people will know that you belong to me to the extent that you live in a unity. And, and Paul spends a lot of time, not only with Galatians here, but also with Ephesians and throughout the New Testament, his writings in the New Testament, speaking to what it means to be the people of Christ. And unity is a huge one. Not because it's a value. It's not like one of the first corporate values of the church. Hey, we believe in a lot of things and unity is right up there. But unity is really a way that people understand the power and presence of God. It is a way to understand and to actually see in action the gospel. 
Jesus in John 17, I said, he said specifically in the middle of this, this quote is prayer to the Father. I, Lord God, am in them and you are in me so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved you. Paul says, exhorts the Ephesians, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So, first real takeaway, if you will, is that our goal as a church, I'll just speak for this church because that's probably a good thing. I don't have a mandate that goes too far beyond this, but I would think each local church needs to be thoughtful about how they manifest Christ to the world through their unity, by being one. What makes us spiritual siblings and the gospel powerful is our ability to act as one. Not necessarily uniformity. That's not, so unity is not uniformity. We've talked in the past about the body of Christ being many, made up of many parts, each with different gifts and different abilities, different experiences, all of which need to be brought. But when we talk about manifesting the unity, we do it, we do it not by focusing on the unity, but by, here's what Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. If we focus on those things, humility, gentleness, patience, hard things for us who are formed and shaped by the Silicon Valley and by this age in which we live, these are all counterintuitive to this culture right now. But they're also, they're very essential to the kingdom of God. Because when you practice humility, when you practice patience, when you practice gentleness, how do you do that without giving up some part of yourself? Without giving up some, or, or at least suspending, holding open-handedly the ambitions that you might have, the desires that you might have, totally good, totally legitimate ones. But, but to be one with the people around you, you're practicing patience and you're practicing gentleness and you're bearing with one another in love. Love the bearing part. That means that not everybody's going to be at all times your cup of tea. Not everybody's going to be just that wonderful Christian brother or sister that you'd imagine you wanted them to be, you maybe demanded them to be. We're all still in process. So make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So how do, we, how, do we, how do we practice unity? Not by focusing on the unity. It's kind of like if you've ever tried to get healthy or lose weight or something like that. You don't focus on necessarily the goal. That can be motivating. You actually focus on the things that you do to get to the goal. There's a time where I, I was sort of exhorted to fit into a wedding suit. Like, it's going to be a little challenging right where I am now. So the best thing I know how to do is to start making some wiser steps about what I ate, the amount I ate, uh, how much exercise I was getting, and then I could get to that place where I could walk with confidence into the tailors and get the suit, fit it out. But if I had just focused on the goal and had no practice, where would I be? I would be hiding behind other people in the wedding photos. So unity is the outcome, if you will, of, of, a, of a consistent love for one another. Unity, you know, practicing those things is so hard, isn't it? What makes it hard is because we are so in touch with our own needs and our own desires and our own wants. And we tend to, when, we, when we're elevating ours and like inflating them, then we're discounting the needs of the other people in our congregation, discounting the needs of those in our family. But if we saw them as Jesus sees them, 
if we saw them as those, we, we were so glad he died for us. Like, I'm glad he died for you too, but I'm really glad he died for me. If we saw them as he loved them, we'd be far more motivated to be in that place. I think C.S. Lewis captures this so well in his essay called The Weight of Glory. He writes this. This is going to be a familiar quote to, I think, many of you. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind and is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. End of quote. But back to, uh, back to Galatians, all are one in Christ. All of us are of the same family. Nobody's better than another. Male's not better than female. Free, not better than slave. Jew, not better than Gentile. So that's the first thing about unity. The second thing is to be aware of, to, to guard that, to protect that, to be aware of kind of a, a Christ plus mindset, the Jewish mindset. In order to be in Christ, you had to acknowledge him and give your life to him and be baptized, but you also had to keep kosher. And sometimes we make church membership a Christ plus kind of criteria. You're, you're welcome to this church, but you should have these views. You're welcome to this church, but you should have these priorities. You should do these things. I don't mean things that are commands in Scripture. I mean things that are somewhat extraneous to what it means to be in the body of Christ. Cultural Aspects. We all have a culture that shaped us and framed us, and it's so easy to bring that into any kind of local body of Christ. And those aren't necessarily bad things, but they can become divisive. They can become kind of a Christ plus criteria. It's much on my heart because, and I'm sure it's on yours in many cases, because when you look around what's going on at churches, church after church in this country right now, there are so many that are dividing over cultural questions or political questions or, and it's not that these things don't have import. It's not that these are frivolous in any way. They are real. They are concerning. They are engaging. But they cannot be transcendent into the category of who we belong to. They cannot take away from what Galatians is saying of who we are. They cannot rob us of our heritage. They cannot be allowed to deny our fellowship with one another. And sadly, too often, they are. Or we allow them to be. Now, by God's grace, I, I, don't, I don't think that's a huge thing in our church at Holy Trinity, but I, I think it's wise to just say, this is a church, and my hope and continued vision for our church is one where people can come because they want to understand Christ more and live for him more. And that this is an environment that is engaging and welcoming in that. Come with whatever convictions that you have about policy or the direction of the country, what the world ought to be doing. Nobody has to leave those at the door. But those can't necessarily be the transcendent things. 
I talk to many Christians that are in a place of weariness just because so much of that lesser, more temporal, more of the moment type of thing is being used to obscure and cloud what is really important. And my hope and my prayer and my praise actually for who we are is that we have been and I think continue to be a church that is learning how to, well, loves each other well. Not that we, there's not a rival point. We can still do more of that. But as we love and as we are inviting people to, to love and be loved, to be exactly who they are, nobody has to clean themselves up to be here at Holy Trinity. It's a total come-as-you-are party. There's no airs and graces that people need to put on. There's no like level of health that you need to have in order to be able to come here. If everybody was healthy that came to... Uh, Holy Trinity, where would the opportunity to pray for one another be? Where would the opportunity to see God at work be? If everybody had all the resources and means that they had, that they required in the church, where would the opportunity to be generous be? So where we are on, on that road of becoming more like Christ, maturing in Christ, we come as we are into a church setting, a local church body, that we might be ministered to and minister to one another. And that takes what we've just read. It takes humility. It takes bearing with one another. But when we are patient and when we are humble and when we are bearing with one another, you know what's really happening? We're giving God the grace and space to work. I don't know about you. How many times do you find yourself kind of giving Jesus directions? Like, okay, here's what I need. Almost like he's like an Instacart. He's not. You know, like, that's not how he works. How he works is us laying down the things that we um, think are so necessary so right now and allowing him to say, you know what, this is your opportunity to be patient. You know what, this is your opportunity to bear with one another. Allow me to work. Allow me to build that unity so that those on the outside see the power of the gospel that you're exhibiting on the inside. So I, I thank God for, again, for how he has shaped us as a, as a church for how he has enabled us to be a place of rest, a, a sanctuary where people can come where they are with the passions that they have. We're different places. We're intergenerational, multicultural, different backgrounds, races, all kinds of things. And that's all part of his plan. I love that. So don't think that we have to be busy about being unified. We just have to be focused on the things and allow God to build the unity. Let me uh, leave you with this encouragement and then a couple, few practical suggestions. Here's the encouragement. It comes from A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God. He says, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are, at, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers who meet together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Amen and hallelujah. God is at work bringing us together as we are faithfully just being his patient, loving, kind, understanding, forgiving members of his body. Ask the question, though, what might we do even in the midst of the Lord uh, in this reality? I think there are a few things just to keep in our minds. 
and I think we do these well, uh, is, is move toward one another. I mean, this, I, this would be true for any church. If I wasn't here, I was preaching in another church, I would say the same thing. Move towards people. When, when you go back to C.S. Lewis's comment, you know, if, if these aren't mere mortals that we're dealing with, what an opportunity to start to connect, start to in, ask, start to find out what's going on. What's your story? What's, we used to do that when we were on Zoom. Do you guys, some of you guys remember that. We'd have a what's your story segment where people just have an opportunity to talk about them. Move toward one another. I love our courtyard opportunities because we can just catch up and then we can fellowship. Second thing is to pray for one another. Now, again, we do that, we, but if, if you've ever, have you ever found yourself in kind of a tight spot relationally with someone? You know, you're a believer, they're a believer, um, you worship God, they worship God, you pray, you know, you read your Bible, you know they do too, but somehow there's all kinds of stuff between you. One of the best ways through that is to start praying for them very specifically and over a length of time. Try doing it in morning prayers or some regular interval. You will find that the Lord will use your intercession for them and your supplication on their behalf to him to start changing you, even while he's answering your prayers for them. It's an amazing thing. The Lord is very economical. He's like, yeah, well, well, this is a compound benefit. So pray for one another. Pray for those spiritual siblings that you find yourself most challenged by in this week. And then finally, just practically, as you pray for people, look for the opportunity to actually serve them. It's amazing when you hear testimonies how much people, a word aptly spoken in season, a slight regard where somebody, you did something for them, and you, you can't even remember that, but it was big to them at the time. Children really think of this. I think if we go back to our childhoods, each of us can think of a, some kind of momentous thing, and, and the person didn't necessarily mean it to be momentous, but we perceived it as such because we still remember that. So serving one another can be very potent and powerful. That's all part of being led by the Spirit. So let me just sort of conclude with this, that the Lord who calls each of us to Him and who alone is our justification and is our ground has made everyone equal. You've heard the phrase, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so whoever we are and the things that we feel and the passions that we have, they're all in the service, if you will, or they're all subordinated to our common identity in Jesus Christ. Again, not that there aren't things to work out and dialogues to have and sometimes hard conversations. Those are part of it. But they are done under this framework of belonging to Christ as brothers and sisters in Him. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.